Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Philbeck, and uh, I am excited today because I get the opportunity to introduce to you our special guest speaker. His name is Josh Howard. Um, I've said in all the other services, and I'll say it again in this one, uh, that I'm always a little bit tempted just to introduce him as Dr. Ajay Law's son-in-law, uh, but that wouldn't do him justice, and I don't think it would be uh, quite right. Uh, but Josh married uh, Ajay's daughter, Lashi, who uh, I, I got to know really well when we went to college together. And so because of that connection, I've been able to have a, a really strong friendship with Josh over the years. He lives in Des uh, with the Law family. He is the director of leadership training for them there, which is vital because one of the things we love about CICM is that they love to plant churches. And what Josh does is he helps train and raise up those church planters to go out and spread the good news around India. Uh, I got the opportunity to hear him preach a couple of years ago when I was in India, and it was a great experience. I've been able to uh, see him mentor and encourage and, and train uh, other missionaries and pastors all over the world uh, through some of the technology that we have available to us today. And, and the more I know Josh, and the more that I like Josh. And, uh, you know, we all know that we can't always say that about some people in our lives. Um, sometimes the more we know people, the more we want to avoid them. Uh, but that's not the case with Josh. He's, he's done great. The first two services, we know he's going to continue to do great today. So I want to bring him up and uh, pray for him this morning before I uh, just step off the stage and give him the chance to uh, share his message with you today. So would you bow with me today? God, thank you so much again for this great and wonderful chance to gather together in your presence. I continue to lift Josh up to you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through him. I pray also, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for the message that you have for us today and challenge us and encourage us and help us to be willing, Lord, to take to heart your words that we would leave this place changed, ready for action. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Andrew, very much, man. Well, like, uh, like Andrew said, my name's Josh. I've been living in India now for a, a, almost nine years, which is pretty crazy to think about. I, it doesn't seem that long at all. Uh, but I met my wife, Lashi, who is Dr. Ajay Lal's daughter. I met her about 10 years ago now, and uh, we fell in love and got married, and I've been living in India now for that long, and uh, it's, it's been amazing to see what God is doing in India and to be there firsthand to witness some of what God is doing in that country. It's, it's pretty awesome to be here, too, because Mount Pleasant has been a massive supporter of CICMs for many, many years now, long before I went there. Uh, Dr. Ajay Law wanted, and, and his wife Indu wanted to send their greetings and their love to you as well. They're actually here in Indianapolis. Uh, he's speaking over to another church this morning. Um, I bet you're like, man, if I would have known that, I would have gone there. Um, <laughs> that's why we didn't announce that, and you're stuck with me. So... Um, so, uh, but he's, he's speaking over there this morning, and so we're here together. My wife, Lashi, and my two boys, Josiah and Jeremiah, uh, they're going to be actually getting here hopefully by the end of this service, and you'll get a chance to meet them as well. Uh, they are um, just amazing, amazing people. I, I married way up, let's just say that. Um, I always say she's the Princess Jasmine, and I'm the street rat Aladdin, uh, which is very true if you, know, if you knew me and knew her. Uh, but I don't know why, but she picked to marry me, and I'm super glad that she did. And we've, like I said, we've got two awesome boys um, that, that hopefully you'll get to see. But I just before I start my message, I want to thank you for your love and your support and your prayers, because honestly, without Mount Pleasant, we wouldn't be able to do what we've been doing in India for so long. 
Over the last 35 years, CICM has planted now close to 3,000 churches in India, Nepal, Bhutan, and Bangladesh, and now we have work in Afghanistan as well. On any given Sunday, which it's, it, this excites me even more than all of those churches that have been planted, on any given Sunday, there are now over 500,000 people that worship in a CICM church. So that's half a million people that have been led to Jesus that are now uh, following him and worshiping him um, in churches that our people have planted. And, and honestly, we couldn't have seen such an amazing result without a church like you. Last year alone, there were over 60,000 baptisms in 2016. I can't fathom that number. I don't know. Yeah, praise God for that. Seriously. Um, it's... It's really mind-blowing what God is doing. We, we now have three Bible college campuses where we're training church planters. In January, we just graduated 110 of them. And so we've got 110 new church planters going out. Our goal for 2017 is to plant 500 new churches uh, this year alone, which will be our, our, our highest year ever for church planting. Uh, we want to get to new areas. We want to reach new people that have not heard Jesus uh, about Jesus. And so these young guys are getting trained and going out uh, in order to see um, brand new people come to Jesus and new villages that have no church that have never heard the name before are now going to be hearing about Jesus this year. We have six children's homes now with 1,200 kids that are living in them that have been orphaned by their families. My wife, Lashi, oversees that work. The, the home that we have in Demo, where we live, has 150 or 60 kids now, something like that. Crazy amounts of, of, of kids that are being now raised with a, with a new family, with love and grace. And it's incredible to see their lives being transformed. We're supporting now over 6,000 kids every single month outside of those children's homes. So that way these, uh, these kids are being able to have food and, and education and all of that's taken care of by our uh, child sponsorship program. I could go on and on about what God is doing, but all of these things, whatever fruit is growing on the trees at CICM, it's growing on your tree as well uh, because of your love, your generosity, and your prayers. And so on behalf of our whole family in India, on behalf of all of our staff, we have over a thousand people now on staff in India. I'm the only white guy working for us. Uh, so I'm the odd guy out. Um, I need a tan, a lot of people tell me. So pray for that. Um, but on behalf of all of us, we just want to thank you and, and, and just let you know how grateful we are for your partnership with us. And so, um, and, and I'm, I'm super thankful to Pastor Chris and his whole family, you know, Andrew and Kara are great friends of ours as well. And you've got a great pastor, you know that? Yeah, he's, he's an, yeah, give him a hand, come on. Yeah. Um, and so... It's really cool, we, there are now four generations of friendships of the Philbecks and the Lawls, which is pretty crazy. My wife's grandparents were friends with Andrew's grandparents, okay? So Chris's mom and dad, and then now Aji and Indu are friends with Chris and his wife and family, and now Lashi and I are friends with Andrew and Kara, and now our kids are running around playing together. It's pretty awesome. Uh, it's, it's really neat. And so we're super excited to be here. Lashi, my wife, and her brother Abhijit were baptized right here in this baptistry, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and so it's really neat to be back here. Lashi's always felt like this is home. And so thank you for loving this family so, so well. Um, before I get into my message, I'm going to ask you if you would do something with me, okay? I'm going to ask if you would pray with me. Because here's the truth, okay? I, 
obviously my words can't do anything, I'm nothing, but if God moves in this place, then some amazing things can happen today. If God shows up and the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, then we can leave here different than how we walked in. If he doesn't, then we're going to leave here the same way that we came in, right? And so I want you to pray with me that God would open our hearts, that he'd open our minds, that he would move in our lives so that when we walk out of here, something is different. We're stronger, we're more faithful, we're more bold, we're more courageous, that we have more of Jesus inside of us and we look more like him. And so if you would, please uh, pray with me right now that that would happen, all right? Let's pray. Jesus, all of us here together, we're just kneeling our hearts before you and we're asking for you to move. I... (laughs) I'm worthless without you, Jesus. My words don't mean anything. Only if you move will anything happen. And so, Jesus, we invite you right now to, ch- to change us, to wreck us, to, to make us look more like you. And so, Father, we pray that you would send your spirit into this place so that our hearts are awakened, that you would bring dead hearts back to life, that, that you would bring dead marriages back to life, that, that you would get into the dark places of our soul and that you would cleanse us and make us new and that when we leave this place, we would be fresh and ignited for you, Jesus. And so I pray, God, that you would do that in our lives. I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds and I pray that this morning more than anything, that you would be the one to speak and you would be the one to move. And so we ask you to do that, Jesus, and we ask that your grace and mercy would flow over us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to preach to you from a passage in the Old Testament that, honestly, it was the passage that God used to draw my heart to the mission fields. So I don't know what's going to happen today. Um... Maybe God would use that same passage in your heart to do something in you. Now, I don't know where you're called to go. I don't know what you're called to do. But maybe this morning, God will use it in order to prompt you to be on mission for him. Before I get to that, though, I, I want to I change something. I know I need to stay on time because you guys have another service after this. And my father-in-law has always taught me that if you preach long sermons, you get very little checks. And so I... I'm going to try to honor his example here. But when I was praying for you this morning, God put something on my heart. I was in my hotel room and I was praying about these services and all I kept hearing in my soul was the words of Moses to Pharaoh when he said, let my people go. That's all I kept hearing was, let my people go, let my people go. And and I had this image in my mind of, of you guys walking in here in spiritual slavery that there's some people in this place that have spiritual chains wrapped around you and maybe it's the chains of addiction or, or maybe it's the chains of depression or anxiety or, or whatever, I, I don't know. I'm not gonna try to be the Holy Spirit and name it because honestly, when I try to be the Holy Spirit, I'm pretty bad at it. So I'm gonna let him do his work. But here's what I know, is that if you've walked in here like that, Maybe it's religion, maybe it's, it's, it's uh, you know, going through the motions, maybe it's all these things that I named, or, or pornography, or whatever it may be. I have no idea what change you have on your life, but here's what I know. If God can release millions of Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he can release your heart from slavery right now. 
Jesus, when he came, he proclaimed from the book of Isaiah, I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the captives. And what I know is that Jesus is one of his favorite things to do in our lives is to bust chains that the enemy has on us to give us freedom. Where there is Jesus, there's always freedom. And so I don't know who needs this today. I don't know who that's for. All I know is that when I was praying, that's all I could hear is that Jesus wants to let some people free today. He wants to break some chains today. And so whatever you have, I know this, that one snap of Jesus' fingers, one word from his mouth can bring freedom to your life, freedom to your marriage, freedom to your hearts. And so right now, before I get into that message, I just want to ask Jesus, Jesus, break chains today. Whatever you want to do, break chains. Break the chains of the enemy. Break the chains of depression and anxiety and addiction, whatever it may be, Father. And you do what you want in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get to Isaiah 6, okay? Isaiah chapter 6 is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because of what happens. Isaiah sees a vision of God. I mean, can, can you imagine that? Like seeing God face to face? That's unbelievable. And so he sees God face to face, but there's a problem. Isaiah knows, kind of like what I just shared with you, that he is in bondage. He is a sinful man. He is broken, and he had always heard stories his whole life of if you come face to face with God and you're unholy, you're going to die. That's it. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's none of that. If you see God, he is so holy that you will die if you're unholy as well. So he's, he's scared to death. And so Isaiah sees God, and he knows that he's broken, he knows that he's sinful, and he knows that he lives amongst the people that are sinful. That's what he says. He literally cries out, woe is me. It means I'm cursed. What happened to me? What's going on? I'm done. If you were before God right now, what would you cry out? I know when I was a kid what I would have cried out, and I know what I would cry out right now. I grew, up, I grew up in a really broken home. My mom and dad divorced when I was four. And my dad left and really wasn't a big part of my life. And, but I went to church every week. My mom and I lived with my grandparents and they took us to church. And, but here's the deal. I, I went to church. Did, did you know if you go to church, it doesn't mean that you necessarily follow Jesus? Did you, did you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not, but... So I didn't like follow Jesus. I, I went to church and I heard sermons and I went to Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, but, but I didn't really follow Jesus. And so I got baptized when I was eight years old and that's when I really gave my life to Jesus, but I didn't live that way. I acted like a Christian on Sunday, but all week long I lived a different way. I wanted to go to heaven when I died, but I lived like hell all week long. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, especially in junior high and high school, I, I, would, I would be a Christian on Sunday and then live however I wanted, however, you know, whatever was going on. I was in chains. I was in slavery. And that's the way Isaiah was. I mean, he was supposed to be God's man. They were the Israelites. They were supposed to be the people of God, holy, set apart, showing the world what it means to follow God. And that's how I was supposed to be as a young kid, and I wasn't. Not, not only that, on top of that, I was taught about the, same Isaiah, about the same God that Isaiah was scared of. 
I was taught about, I was taught about this God that was so judgmental and angry and ready to stop on me at any moment. I didn't hear about his grace. I was even taught this, listen, I was taught that if I died while I was sinning, I'd go straight to hell. Can you imagine the pressure that a junior high kid must feel? <laughs> Seriously, I sin like every five minutes. It was like hopscotch with heaven and hell. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I mean, it, it was crazy. And so I began to pray a lot of prayers like this. I began to pray a lot of, you know, oh, Jesus, uh, um, forgive me if I've done anything wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't even name my sins anymore. I just would pray a big covering over me, Jesus, just all of it. Take it all away. And I can picture Isaiah praying prayers like that. But let me tell you something. I, I never heard about the grace of God and I never experienced it until about 10 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Now, I'd heard about it, but I never experienced it. I was in Nairobi, Kenya. I was walking through the streets of the biggest slum you could ever imagine in your life. I mean, it, it was the biggest, one of the biggest slums in all of Africa. And I was there on a mission trip, and they were taking me through this slum, and, and I was talking to the pastor, and they told story after story of these places. I mean, there were little cardboard huts that were made, and, and honestly, homes that maybe one or two people should be able to sleep in, but they'd have like eight or 10 or 15 people sleeping on top of, e uh, top of each other. He said that every time it rained, sewage would flood through their homes and through the streets. It was crazy. And so we walked into this place, and, and I was 20, 21 years old. I, I mean, I, I was like, what am I going to offer here? What am I going to do in this place? They took me to this little home that had just been built. It was actually pretty nice for the area. It was this little home. I mean, it wasn't very big. I said, well, what's the story here? And the pastor said, well, uh, uh, some Americans came, and they built this home for this woman. I said, well, what's her story? And he said, well, she was... Uh, she's been mentally challenged, mentally handicapped for a long time, and, and she has the mind of maybe a nine or 10-year-old. But a few years ago, she was brutally raped in these slums, and she got pregnant, and she had birth, and now she has a little two-year-old girl. And so this, these Americans came and built her a home so she could protect her little girl, and she could lock it at night and things like that. And I walked into this place, and there was a little girl. She was two years old. All she had on was a diaper, <laughs> But immediately, she didn't even know me, she ran up with her arms up, so I would hold her. And so I threw in my arms, and, and I immediately realized as well that her diaper had not been changed for quite some time. It was like a urine bomb exploded everywhere. Literally, urine seeped out everywhere, all over me, all over my shirt, dripped down, it was everywhere. Now, in my in my, as, as a man, in my, my immediate reaction normally would have been something like this, you know, like stick her as far away from me as I can. You know, dads, when they change diapers and peas flying everywhere, like, like that. Now, I don't know what happened to me that day. I can't explain it. But here's what I know, that Jesus changed me that day. It's not because I was a good guy, because I wasn't. But Jesus did something in my heart. And all I could do that day was hold her tighter. I kissed her, I played with her. We, we were only there for like 10 or 15 minutes. They, we prayed for the family, they cleaned up the little girl and, and we walked out of that building. And as I walked out, I heard God's voice speak to me more clearly than I ever have in my life. 
Now, it wasn't an audible voice, okay? I didn't hear, uh, or anything like that. A light didn't shine down from heaven. But I heard God speak to my heart. And God said, Josh, you're just like that little girl. I didn't get it. I'm pretty slow. What do you mean, God? And he said, Josh, you're way dirtier than she is. You have so much sin caked on you from years and years and years of junk. It's way worse than urine. It's way worse than puke. It's way worse than any of that stuff. But, Josh, when you run to me like that little girl with your arms up, I pick you up anyway. And I hold you anyway. And Josh, instead of you making me dirty, I make you clean. And there in the most horrible poverty I've ever seen, I felt the grace of God pour over my life for the first time. And I knew that God loved me. And I came face to face with Jesus. You see, I don't know the God that you've heard about. Here's what I know though. If you wanna know God, you need to look at Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is God fully, okay? He's, he's the fullness of God in flesh. And so if you want to know the God of the Bible, you look at Jesus because Jesus was the image of God on earth. And that's how God revealed himself to us. And so when I look at Jesus, I see a Jesus who stands in the gap between an adulterous woman and a crowd ready to stone her and says, those without sin cast the first stone. I see a Jesus who gives grace to, who, to people that no one would give grace to. I see his arms always being open. I see him loving people that no one else would love. I see him healing the sick and cleansing the leper and casting out demons. I see him having compassion on every single person, no matter what sin they were wrapped up in. I see him talking to women that no one else would talk to. I see him healing men that no one would touch. And that's the God of the Bible. He loves you. And he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And that day in Nairobi, Kenya, I knew that God loved me. He poured his grace over me and saved me and set me free. And that's the same God that Isaiah came face to face with in Isaiah chapter 6. When he gets down on his knees and he cries out to God, he's waiting to die. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's sinful. And so as he bows his head, waiting to be killed by God, God sends an angel down from heaven with a coal from the altar of God. And this angel lays the coal on his lips in Isaiah chapter 6. And then God speaks out and says, see, Isaiah, your guilt is taken away and your sins are forgiven. He was waiting to face this judgmental, horrible, condemning God. And instead, he found the God of grace and mercy. He found the God of love and forgiveness. And then Isaiah was cleansed and set free. And so the same experience that I had in Nairobi, Kenya, Isaiah had thousands of years ago, sitting on his knees in front of the most holy God. And here's what I know. There are some people in this room right now that desperately need to be cleansed. You know how sinful you are. You know the junk in your life. And here's what Jesus wants you to know today. He's not angry. He's not ready to pound you. He's not pointing his finger at you. He's standing here with his arms open. Say, come to your daddy and I will cleanse you and set you free. He is your father. You are his sons and his daughters. And he loves you more than anything else in this world. You will not make him angry. You will not make him dirty. You will make, he will make you clean 
And Luke 15 says he throws a big party when you run to your father. (laughs) Don't leave here today with the sin caked on you like I had all those years. Today, may your chains be broken and may you experience the grace and the love that Isaiah experienced and may you experience the cleansing that you so desperately need. But it doesn't stop there. This is what drew my heart to the mission field right here, what happens next. So God cleanses Isaiah. Isaiah thought he was dead, now he's alive. He's waiting to hear what God has to say next. And then God speaks out. He's not talking to Isaiah, he's just talking to anyone who will listen. And God yells from his throne, now, whom shall I send and who will go for me? Who will speak for me? Who will take my name to the nations? Who will tell them about my love and grace? Who will be my witness? And I picture Isaiah, now this isn't in the Bible, but I picture him looking around. And I I hear him having this internal dialogue. Are you kidding me? I I should have been dead and I'm alive. I was lost and I'm found. I, I should have been destroyed immediately, but God gave me grace and mercy. And I see Isaiah putting his hand up. And it says in Isaiah chapter 6 that Isaiah says, God, here am I, send me. I will go. I'll be the one to go and take your name. I hear him saying, God, you loved me when no one else would. You gave me grace when no one else would. I should be dead, but now I'm alive. And my question for you this morning is this. Is there any other response to the grace of God? when he pours his love over you and forgives you of all the stuff you've ever done and says, you're gonna be in heaven with me for eternity, is there any other response than saying, all right, God, I'm yours. I'm your man, I'm your woman, and I'll do whatever you call me to do, and I'll go wherever you call me to go because you've given me what no one else could. You've done for me what no one else would. You died the death that I should have died and given me the life that I don't deserve. I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do. You see, you're not saved just for yourself. You're saved so that you can go save other people. I'm gonna end with this story. And this story, I think, illustrates our mission so well. It came in in the 1950s in the Korean War. There was a mobile hospital unit. They call them MASH. I don't know what the AS stands for, but the mobile and the hospital, I know. But they set up these tents all over Korea in order to take care of soldiers that were wounded in the war. And doctors and nurses worked tirelessly hour after hour to fix up soldiers that had been wounded. And it got so bad sometimes that some days they had hundreds and hundreds of soldiers come through these tents. I read one doctor's report that he said, one day I was working on patient after patient, soldier after soldier. I thought that it was raining outside because my socks were wet. He said, after hours of working, I stepped outside the tent and I noticed it was sunny outside. Sun was shining everywhere. I looked down and I had blood up to my knees. That's how bad it had gotten. And they knew they had to create a system because what they realized was that when they were working on a guy that they knew had no hope, a guy that did have hope would die because they had no surgeon to work on him. And so they had to create some sort of system to decide who gets worked on and who doesn't. And so they created a three-color system. A doctor would see a patient the moment he came in, and he'd give him one of three colors. The first color was blue. If you were hurt, you wanted blue. 
Blue meant that you were okay. It was a minor wound. It wasn't going to be a big deal. They could patch you up, give you some medicine, and set you on your way. If you didn't get blue, you wanted yellow. Yellow meant it was serious, but if they sent you straight to surgery, they could fix you up and they think you're going to live. What you didn't want is red. Red meant you had lost too much blood, there was no hope, and the doctor knew there was no way to save you. And they would literally, a nurse would come with a shot of morphine that could kill a horse and put it in the soldier's arm, and within eight seconds he'd be dead with a peaceful death. That's the, that's the best they could do because they knew that they needed to save the guys that could actually be saved. And so one day with this system, a soldier came in, a young kid. The doctor stepped up. He immediately stepped away and said, there's, there's nothing we can do. He's lost too much blood. There's no way we can save him. He took his chart. He put a big red X on it. Then a nurse came. And for every color, they strapped a tag on the boot of the soldier so that way the doctors would know what color they are. So a nurse came and she strapped a red tag to his boot to make sure that everyone knew he was red. And then finally, the nurse with morphine came. She was getting ready to stab it into the guy's arm and the guy woke up and grabbed her hand. And he said, listen, I know you have to do this. I just need you to do something for me. Tell my wife I love her. Tell my kids I love them. Tell them I'm sorry. I promised them I would come home. Tell them that I love them. The nurse had never had something like that happen to her. She didn't know what to do. She started crying. She looked around. Nobody was around. She took her scissors. She snipped the red tag off the boot, put on a yellow tag, and sent him to surgery. She wasn't supposed to do that. She didn't hear anything about it. She thought her secret was safe. One day turned into a week. A week turned into a month. Never heard about this kid. She thought he probably died, but she wanted to do whatever she could. About a year went by, the war was slowing down, not as many soldiers were coming in, and one day she heard helicopters fly in, about three of them landed right outside of her tent. Outside of the helicopter stepped a five-star general, the highest rank you could have. He makes an announcement and says, I need to see every doctor, every nurse, and every soldier in this camp right now come to the mess hall where they eat food. So they went to the, to the food tent, and they stepped inside. All the nurses and doctors ran there as quick as they could. All the soldiers were standing there. The five-star general steps in. Everybody stands and salutes. He steps in front of the group. He raises up a clipboard with a big red X on it and says, Listen, about a year ago, somebody changed this guy's tag from red to yellow, and I want to know who it was because it's against protocol. This little nurse is in the back. She's scared to death. She knows that probably your job's over. She knows that she broke the, the military protocol. She knows that it's, she doesn't know what's going to happen. One of her friends says, honey, I'll take the blame. She said, no, I, I need to do this. So with her head down, she steps up and puts up her hand and says, sir, I did that, sir. I remember. And he said, it was you? Yes, sir, it was me. The story says that the general threw down the clipboard and ran at that woman a five-star general running at a nurse. And it says that when he, when she was halfway, when he was halfway to her, he, he fell and tripped on his knees, all in uniform, everything. And in the mud and the dirt of this place in Korea, he went on his hands and knees to this little nurse and grabbed her hand and looked at her in the eyes and said, that was my son. 
You saved my son. He's at home now with his wife and kids because of you. Thank you for saving my son. Listen. You and I have been cleansed by Jesus so that we can be eternal tag changers in the kingdom of God. You can change tags from red to yellow. You can change the eternal destination of your friends and family and for those that are lost. Jesus has put this in our hands. He has cleansed us and set us free with the opportunity to change eternal tags for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is there any greater work in the world than to change tags for the kingdom of God? If you're here today and you've not been cleansed by Jesus, I want you to know his arms are open and it's ready right now. For many of you, you've already been cleansed and it's time to go on mission for him. And so in the words of Isaiah, my prayer is that that would be your prayer today. When God says, whom shall I send and who will go for me? Your answer will be, God, here am I. Send me to change as many tags as I possibly can for your glory. And may he be with you as you see many, many people come to the feet of Jesus as you go and do what Jesus has called you to do with your life. Let's pray.